four of a series on relationships. We're going to jump right in this morning. The reason we're talking about relationships is because it matters. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you have relationships in your life. Uh, if you do them poorly, you have less and less of them. Uh, and our hope is that we would do them better. And the ones that, that, that we have, that they would be better because they matter. They really do matter uh, on all different levels. You know, relationships bring incredible joy or have the ability to anyways. You see those, uh, you know, when a baby's born, it's like they just bring incredible joy and they've done nothing for you. And they're about to make the next 18 years of your life extra busy. And yet, the joy that comes from just that beginning of a new relationship. This week, we buried um, our friend Paul. And to watch as a relationship ends. Man, the pain that that brings. You know, it's not even that relationships that end through death. There's so many relationships um, that have just, there's distance. You know, it's as if they're dead, but they're still alive. We look at broken families, broken friendships. Sibling relationships that are at odds with one another, even, even with that loss, there's incredible pain. And so our hope in this series is that we would look at our future family. What could my future family look like? And to focus on the family part of the relationship, even though this works all over the place. It works in school, it works with your teachers, it's going to work with your students, it'll work with your boss. But the, close, the closest ones, the husband, wife, the parent, child, the in-laws and outlaws, the church family, uh, and your relationship with God, how can it be, um, especially in the family relationships, how can it be better? And so we learned a few things in this series. We're going to see Saturday night went four for four. Let's see how you guys do. In part one of this series, we learned that the, uh, every relationship is only as strong as the, the weakest link, weakest person in it. And that the only person, it doesn't matter who the weakest link is, could be you, could be the other, but the only um, the only person in any relationship you can change is? That's right, yourself. And the only thing that's actually going to hinder you from changing you is? Oh, not bad. And so last week we said, what if there's one question we could ask the other person that had the power to improve or to close the gap in any relationship? Anybody remember what the question is? What can I do to help? What can I do to help? I found that what can I do to help? This question can also be encouraged by your spouse. Yesterday, as I was sitting in my office, my wife came and she asked me, she's like, hey, what can I do to help? And I was like, you know what, hon? I've got everything under control. All is well. Nothing. And she's like, well, aren't you going to ask me? And (laughs) she's helping me become a better man. And so I was like, yes, what can I do to help? And she's like, there's this terrible spider in the stairwell. Come save me. And I went this night in shining armor, and I ended the life of that spider. Just for the sake of my wife, I know for you, you spider, I mean, if I got you a spider or her, believe me, it's her every time. But what if there was just one question that could improve any relationship? What can I do to help? It helps bring this gap that we can sense. This gap's not always bad. Sometimes the gaps just drift. We just sort of drift apart from one another. And it's that idea of saying, what if I offered all of me for your benefit? And what if I offered all of me for your benefit? Uh, It would bring uh, relationships closer. And that's what we talked about. But then last week we referenced this thing called the angry gap. And today's topic is this. What if there was just one question we could ask ourselves that had had the power to improve the conflict gap? You know, and the things that that we disagree on, the things that we fight about. um, What if there was just one question that could help us in that area of our lives? Um, We've been, like, teaching our kids that, uh, I was kind of the dad, when we first started with parenting children, I was the dad who was like, I want instant obedience. If I say something, you do it. I say jump, you say how high, dad, right? It's like one of those. And, and you might look at me as crazy, but when I was growing up, I always wanted to be like the one who made the rules. 
You know, as the oldest child, and my dad was always like, hey, when you grow up and have your own family of your own, you can have your own rules then. So I put in a lot of time to get to this place where I could have my own rules, and they, they would follow them. Uh, and then I got to the place where it was like I would give the command, and they would hit the floor, or they'd be upset, and I was like, we got to change this. And so we decided that, that uh, as we're asking my children to do something, I gave them this option. I said, you know, instead of, like, freaking out right away, like, ah, no, no, and it, I said, why don't you just, why don't you have one, you know, you have the opportunity to ask one question. Why don't we have a conversation about this? And so it worked. It was one of these things where I would say, hey, I'd like you to do this. And oftentimes they'd be like, okay, Dad, can I ask one question? Yes. Um, why? And then when he explained the why, oh, then it was a lot easier. And so this thing was, okay, but can I ask one question? Well, my son Max has just taken that to be the response to everything. It's like I, anything. Okay, but can I ask one question? Okay, and so bedtime is now t just takes extra long. And the other night I was sitting there and I was like, I became aware of this. Uh, every, kids, everyone looks for loopholes. Well, he's found this one. And so I was like, okay, it's time to brush your teeth. Okay, Dad, but can I ask one question? I'm like, okay, yeah. And, and he's like, can I show you this thing on my video game? I'm like, no. <laughs> Go brush your teeth. He goes and brushes his teeth. And then it's like, it's bedtime. Okay, time to get into bed. Can, can I ask one question? I'm like, okay. Uh, and he asked my, his question about this video game. No, not, it's bedtime. Then the lights are out and I'm I'm like, okay, good night. Yeah, can I ask one question? He's like, yes. Can I just have five more words with Finner? Can I just finish my sentence with Finner? Just five more words. I'm like, five more words. And I go and I sit down in the hall and I'm waiting for the five more words. And five minutes later, I still hear the whispering. I'm like, Max. He's like, I just have two words left, Dad. Like, can I just ask one? Can I just finish the last two words? And I was like, yes, they are. Good night. But it's his default response, and my hope in that story for us is that we would have this default question that comes in our minds every time we face conflict, things that, we've, that we get into the angry gap in, uh, in the relationships that we have, whether that's, whether that's, well, I mean, conflict is everywhere. Like, we can have your you know, spouses in conflict. You can have conflict with your child. You can have conflict with your teen or sibling conflict. The sibling rivalry thing is real. We're all going to experience conflict at some point, but... What if we could just ask one question? Conflict's defined as this. It's a serious disagreement or argument. It's an incompatibility between two opinions, two principles or interests. Last week, we showed this picture of a couple in a pickup truck, the two-headed monster. And we asked, you know, have you ever seen couples like that? And you sort of look around the church, and there they are. You know, their arms around each other. I'm like, come on, people, this is church. Arms around, back rubs, no. Um, but, you know, it's like you see some of these people, and you're like, yeah, they're, they're, they're close. Have you ever seen the opposite? Have you ever come across people that are the opposite? They're just like, they're so angry at each other. It's like you just, you're always, you walk in and their conversations make you nervous because you just think they're just going to explode at any time. And you're like, I don't want to leave because they might kill each other, but I don't want to stay because it's awkward. No? Nobody nods because you know I visit you. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's not you. It's for the people on YouTube. All right. The, tr the truth is, though, the truth is that it's those conflicts that change the chairs. They're no longer just gap. They're like dialing in into the, into the trench warfare and finding themselves going uh, other ways. The truth is that we all have conflict. 
whether you nodded your head or not, we all have it. I've got to be the first one to say it. And there's different stats that kind of prepare us to say approximately how much conflict you can uh, guess you're going to face in your life. And these are stats. These are like, there's all different websites that give all different types. These are just some of the basic thoughts. Like, for instance, couples, they figure you're going to fight 19 times a month. That's the average. Some of you are like, that was last weekend, right? Um, it's the average. Some are going to be a whole lot less. You're like, oh, phew. Others, it's going to be uh, somewhat more. Parents and kids, five times a week, they figure you're going to have one of these hostile disagreements, which is about 20 times a month. And for some, that's average. And then siblings, five times an hour. I couldn't find that stat, so I just made that one up based on <laughs> personal experience. But it's got to be close, right? The parents, yes. You know, but, and the thing is, conflict, we fight about different things. We fight about different things. For instance, couples, they say, fight most of the top five free time about the money, about the housework, about physical intimacy, which is a nice way of saying sex, and then the extended family, which is a nice way of saying your mom. Uh, those, are, those are the things that people fight about, right? And then parents and kids and teens fight about different things. Younger kids, it's about their chores and their messy rooms and their homework, screen time and bedtime. I was like, yes, that's number one on the list. Then... Uh, when they get older, in the teen years, it's like their attitude, their moodiness, their friends, their curfew, and their clothing. Yes, sound familiar? Some, yes. And then siblings, again, couldn't find all the stats, but about pretty much everything and anything, it's on. So, yeah. Family conflict itself is just so complicated because it's so close. There's different things that we fight about. Uh, and the different stuff we fight about. Some of it's little stuff, you know, like how the toilet paper roll goes for the final time. So <laughs> my wife sent me this. It really helps. Beards are cool. Mullets are bad. <laughs> simple, simple things can, can uh, help avoid conflict just like this. These are the little things, right? And the big things, we just went over that. That's on the other list. And then there's stuff in the past that just keeps coming up. It's like, man, that's from like the first year we were married, and still not dealt with. And then others, it's the things that we're fighting about continuously. And so there's different stuff. And then there's, there's different approaches and responses to conflict. Sometimes there's the peacemakers like, okay, fine. I'll do whatever. Just, just make it go away. We just don't want to, you know, just, I, I just don't want to have this fight right now. I'll do whatever, whatever you say. Then there's the other side where it's the yeller. Whoever's the loudest wins. That's just it. Whoever's the loudest wins. And then there's the silent who like, they just, they don't want to argue about anything. And that's just as bad. It's like, you know what? We're not going to solve this conflict. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not ready yet. And you're like, it's been 15 years. Yeah, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. Or the debater, the one who will out-argue anyone. And they, they always have to be right. You know, you know, you married him. You were like, oh, he's Mr. Right. And now he's Mr. Always Right. And you just can't figure this out. And the conflict, it's real. It's real. And that there's a part of us that wants to win, but... The thought is this, when you win at family conflict, you don't actually win anything. When you win at family conflict, you don't actually win anything. All you've done is turn the chairs and move them further apart. Yeah, you might be sitting in your chair and be like, yeah, finally, she sees it my way. But you're heading on a, on a path. And a lot of times when people look at it from the outside, you see that path. When you're in it, you don't see it because you're not actually looking to the relationship. You're looking the other way. That's something we want to talk about. What could we do better? What could we do better? See, we can all agree. We can all agree that there's varying levels of conflict in our lives. Sometimes it's the, you know, the nice peaceful spots. Other times there's big stuff. But do we have any idea what's causing it? Do you have any idea what's causing all of the conflict in your life? And I'm not saying all is like in, you know, that the, there's all kinds of conflict right now. But every time there's conflict, do you know what's causing it? 
And a lot of times the first thing that comes to your mind is a name. You're like, yeah, I thought it was my wife, but, you know, or I thought it was, I thought it was my teenage child, like this rebellious child. It's, but I can't believe they're causing all the conflict. In my house, you know, when the kids are fighting, it's like, he's like, why are you fighting? And the first answer is always a name. Finner, it was Max, Reese, something. It's always a name. And we think it's always a name. You know, why, what's, what's causing this conflict? For some, it's like husband, wife, teen. For others, it's like it's Trump. It's always Trump. If it isn't them, it's Trump or it's Trudeau. They're the ones causing it. Somehow it all ties back. Uh, they're causing the extra stress at my job. And as a result, as a result that's causing the pain at home. And it's, it's them. And we'd love to have it be someone else, wouldn't we? But what if there's just one source to all the conflict in our relationships? One source to all of it. How do we find out what that source is? How do we deal with that? And so this morning, I want to take you back to something that's been there all along. Been there all along and take a look at it. It's in, the, it's in, uh, it's in a letter. A letter written 2,000 years ago by a guy named James. Uh, it was written by James who happened to have a brother named Jesus. Have you ever thought about what that would be like? What would it be like for you if your older brother was Jesus? You're growing up, he's perfect. He does everything right all the time. Your parents are like, why can't you be more like Jesus? And they wouldn't say, because he's the son of God, mom. That's why I can't be more like him. Because they didn't believe he was the son of God. Do you know, it's fascinating. I'm reading through the New Testament again this, this year um, through the Bible app. And as I was reading this this week, something jumped out at me that I had just really had never seen before. And Jesus was, in, it's in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus is healing people, and he's, all these crowds are there, and his family comes to get him. They're like, they come to get him, to take him out of that, out of that place. And you know what that says? It says there that they thought, his family says, it's his family thought that Jesus was out of his mind. That's what James and his, including James, that's what those guys all thought about this, this Jesus, their brother. Oh man, he's just lost it. He is out of his mind until something happened that changed their mind. Any idea what it was? Not just that he died, everyone dies. Their brother rose from the dead. Man, what would you do if your brother rose? What would, I think Andy, says, Andy Stanley says it this way, what would your brother have to do to prove to you that he's the son of God? Think about your brother for a minute, if you have one. What would they have to do to prove that they're the son of God? Well, James, who's like, man, my brother's lost his mind, goes from that to going, he's the son of God, he's my Lord, he's my master. He may be my brother, but he is my Lord. What, has, what would happen? And I think it's in that understanding that gives incredible weight to the words that we read, because this is written after the fact. James goes on to lead the church of Jerusalem. He goes on to, to uh, f uh, continue the, the mission that Jesus started with incredible, incredible uh, vigor, gives his life for it. Here's, he writes a letter to, to Jesus' followers in the first century. You can find it in James chapter 4. So where do you find it? So when you go home and you want to look it up to see if it was true, where would you find it? And just one more time, because three times is the way to memorize stuff. James chapter 4. So when you go home, I'd love for you to just do this for your devotions today. James chapter 4. James has one of the most profound relational insights ever. And when he writes this to these Jesus followers, he writes this. What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? What's the source of all the quarrels, all the fights, all the conflict? What is the source? It's interesting because the source matters. Um, last winter, my father, while well, he goes often to the Philippines, he went to the Philippines, got a brand new house, and, and my mother-in-law calls us and says, can you come over? The furnace is leaking. It's been leaking for the last two nights. And so we're like, okay, we'll, we'll come and check it out. And so I went there, and, and there behind the furnace was this little, little pipe, and there's water coming out, and there's, there's 
towels all over the place, and there's this bowl of water. And uh, I, I asked my mom, I'm like, any idea? She's like, no, but I, I was up all night every hour emptying bowls of water. And I was like, okay, well, it's got to be coming from somewhere. And so I followed the pipe, and it was this tiny little tap for the humidifier that was just allowing water in to put humidity in the air, just continuously running. They had left it on winter, summer, plugged the whole thing up. It was just overflowing everywhere, but it happened to be coming out of the furnace. And so I was like, <laughs> problem solved. Just leveled up in the son-in-law category, right? I should be able to, three more sermons about her I've just earned. But... The source matters because I think in our relationships, for most of us, we never consider the source. We spend all of our time with the bowls and the towels. We spend all of our time with fighting the same fights, getting the same arguments, having the same things, the same problems. And James is like, hey, listen, what's causing all the quarrels and fights among you? And for us, we're like, well, it's the other people. My husband, he's always late. My wife, she just spends too much. My kids, they never listen. And like, my parents never listen. It's always them. It's the, it's the blame game. The blame game has been played for years. Since there was one man and one woman, this game existed, and we continue to play it. If only they would start doing, if only they would stop doing, then I would be happier. And what we don't realize is we took our happiness, which I'll just use this card as an illustration. We took our happiness and we said, here you go. I'm going to put my happiness in your hands, and you can give it back to me anytime you want. Once you get your life fixed, once you start, stop doing that, once you start doing that, you can give me my happiness back. And guess what? You wait a long time. Why? Because the only person you can change in any relationship is, yeah, not them. And so we hand them our happiness. Andy Stanley said it this way, as long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. As long as you're blaming someone else for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. How long are you willing to wait? How long are you willing to wait? You know, as James wrote this, what's causing all these quarrels? What's causing all these fights? Maybe some of them started to answer, and they had their own names. It's Bartholomew all the time. You know, look out, Tabitha. He's about to, like, mention you. It's always you. He knows. And, and, and James doesn't actually wait for their answer because he's writing a letter, and he says this. What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? As they first hear is maybe us. It's like, who, me, what? It's, it, it's in me? You think that this whole quarrel this, it's, it has something to do with me? And James is saying, if you don't understand the source of the conflict, you'll never be able to solve the conflict. And again, we spend so much time with the bowls and so much time with the towels. Anger leads to more anger. Unfortunately, it leads to violence in some places. And what happens? The gap just gets bigger and bigger. And we keep waiting. And James is saying, hey, the source, the thing you actually got to take a look at, it's actually in you. There's a desire for pleasure, a desire for happiness that's in conflict in you. And that conflict in you starts coming out on other people because you think they have something to solve this inner conflict, which they don't. But he says in James 4 verse 2, you want, you desire what you don't have. You want something that you don't have. And as a result, you're trying to get it from something. And it's this, it's this thought, if we could just recognize this one thought, it would decrease conflict in our lives immediately. If you realize that there's something that I want that I don't have right now, it would begin to decrease the conflict. You know, from the list, we could just simply say, the list that couples fight about, you know, it's that thing. Well, I want to save money. Yeah, well, I want the new couch. I want to save money. Yeah, well, I want to go on a trip and make memories with the kids. I want physical intimacy. I just want sleep. I want action. I want you to take me on a date. I want a cleaner house. 
I just want you to learn how to use a hamper and a vacuum cleaner. And, and with your kids, like, I want instant obedience. I want to know why. I want you home by 10. <laughs> I want you to stop giving me rules. And I'm going to stop because I'm going to just get too tired. But do you get the idea? Both sides have wants. This is what I want. This is what I want that I'm not getting. James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, you, you want what you don't have. And so he says, so you scheme and you kill to get it. He's writing to Jesus followers. He's not saying they literally kill. It's hyperbole. He's saying they, they get so amped up by what they want that they're willing to kill relationships to get it. They're willing to create this incredible divide just so that they can get what they want in any way possible. And you'll hurt the people closest to you just to get what you think you want. Spouses, how many have killed relationships with their spouse because they wanted them to be more affectionate, they wanted to make more money, they wanted them to spend less money, they just wanted, please make me happy. How many parents have killed relationships with their children because you want them to live out your desires and, you know, I want you to go to that school, I want you to be this type of person rather than who they were. Teens, how many have killed a relationship with their parents because you wanted to be the one who makes all the rules? You wanted to be happy thinking, I know what's best for me. And as a result, you killed relationships with your parents. Find it so easy in the words that we'll criticize, we'll belittle, we'll set unrealistic expectations, we'll do whatever it takes to get what we want one way or another. And James says, man, it's causing all of this conflict. He says in, in the rest of verse 4, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to try and take it from them. You think that them is the answer, that them's the problem, but them is also your answer. You think that if they have something for you, you'll feel better. And what you end up doing is you simply destroy relationships in the process. Why? Because if you got to win, that means someone else has to lose. If you want to win, so bad means someone else has to lose. If you want to be right, that just means someone else has to be wrong. And we keep thinking, it's them, it's them, it's them. And James is saying, ah, it's you, it's you, it's you. There's a part of it that you have to play. And we have, I was thinking about that, you know, we have so much more grace when we want to break up relationships than when we want to try and make up and solve conflict in the relationships that really matter. Did you ever break up with someone? or you were broken up with way back in the day, you were dating and that relationship was going to end, what's the line that happens? It's not, no, it's not, yeah, yeah, it's not. Some of you got to go back to breakup school, right? It's not you. It's me, right? We're like so, so quick to say, it's not, it's not you. You don't have to change it. It's, it's actually me. But we want to try and make up in conflict and have resolution in our conflict. What's the thing? We're like, it's not me. It's you. It's you. It's something to do with you. And so what do we do with that? How do we fix this? If that's the problem, if that's the source, what does it look like in our real lives? And so here's the thought. What if we could pause early on in conflict? We know it's coming or we know because we've been there before. A lot of the conflicts people fight about, it's the same thing over and over and over again. What do we do early on? What if we could just stop like Max and say, uh, okay, but can I ask one question? Okay, can I ask one question? Because the truth is this, the problem, the problem is I'm not getting what I want. That's the problem for any of us in conflict is I'm not getting what I want. Can you just say that with me? I'm not getting what I want. If you were to stop and think in every conflict, part of the problem is say it like you mean it. How'd you feel when you said that? Last night, it was like, like a selfish little child. <laughs> I'm not. Okay, so honey, the problem in this fight we're having is 
well, I'm not getting what I want. Oh, man, doesn't that all of a sudden, like, change the perspective a little bit already? It's like, because that's the problem. I'm not getting what I want. And the question is that I should be asking, okay, can I ask one question? What do I want really? What do I want really? The problem when he says, I'm not getting what I want. That, that automatically realizes that I am part of the problem. I am part of this conflict because up until now, it's always them, them, them. I, I, Andy Stanley used to say with marriage couples when they'd come and there was conflict, he'd hand them a, a pie chart that was blank and he said, hey, why don't you draw a slice on this piece of pie that, tells, that, that, that is your part of the conflict? So if you just think about any conflict you have in your life, recent conflict, whatever it may be, how much of the pie is actually your contribution to the conflict? How big of a slice would you draw? Some last night said 50. Some are like, it's 1%. You know, that's, that's, that's my part. It's the one, it's 1% for me. And if you think about it, as soon as you decide that any part of the conflict is your part, it de-escalates. Why? Because there is a part that we can deal with. It's not the them. It's not the 99%. It's that 1%, that 10%, that 25, that 30, whatever it is, that part if we could focus on that part, conflict has a chance to be solved because it's not all of them, and you can't change them anyway. So here's the question. What do we want really? It helps us to adjust our focus because part of the thing is I'm not getting what I want, and I think it's them who's going to answer that uh, problem for me. They're going to do something for me. But I encourage you with this thought, and I had this this week, this potential conflict. So I was at my hairdresser's to get my hair cut this week. My hairdresser happens to live in my house. Um, she's my wife. And so as I was sitting there getting my hair cut, uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to a conference this week, so if you try and contact me this week, you probably won't hear from me. I'll be in the States. And I was going to a place that's a little bit warmer. I thought, you know, I just really want a shorter haircut. And as I was sitting there, she's cutting my hair, and, I'm, and I was like, oh, you know what? Uh, she'd gotten to some spot, and I was like, you know what? I, I kind of want a shorter haircut. And, and she just, she hates when I interfere at all, because I know she's like, I want you to stop critiquing my mad skills, you know? And I'm... And as, because I was preparing for this, I had this thought, what if I just played this whole conversation all the way forward in my mind first? And so as I sat there, I was thinking, oh, you know what? Okay, so then I could say, yeah, but hon, I could explain to you why I want it shorter, and I kind of want to go back to the faux hawk style and whatever. And she's going to be like, I want you to stop right now because I'm doing this for free. And it was like going through this, and I, as I played it through, all of a sudden, I didn't say anything, but I was laughing in my head because you know what I saw? I saw this picture. This could have been me. And I was like, what do I, no, just get rid of that forever now. <laughs> I, thank you. I was, I was like, what do I really want? That's not it. That's not it. And I often realize and I wonder, what if we played the scenario ahead all the way? What if I said, instead of having the same argument over and over, what if I just played it all the way ahead and found out, James said it this, you want what you don't have, so you scheme, you kill to get it, you're jealous of what others have, you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have, he says, here's why. He says, you don't have because you don't ask God for it. And for those who are here, you're sitting in this room, and you think, oh, here it goes, it's the Christian thing. This is not a Christian thing. It's just a thing thing. It's a life thing. All the stuff that we've just shared so far works for, for, for uh, everyone. But for the Jesus followers here this morning, as we close this morning, I want to ask you this question. Did it ever occur to you that God is actually present in your conflict? Did that ever occur to you to think, you know, I'm so, always so angry about this one thing. Did it ever occur that God is actually present? Because it's amazing how we act differently when someone else is present. 
had it last weekend. My nephews were over from, from uh, Quebec. They spent a few days with us. And uh, it was time for bed. And so I said to the kids the very first night, I was like, all right, guys, it's bedtime. Let's get your jammies and toothbrush and everything. And Finner didn't want to go to bed yet. And so he pulls some, uh, his regular routine of like, no, and he hits the dirt. He's like, no. And then he pauses. He just pauses. So you can see it was like this. And he looks. He's seven years old. He looks at his eight-year-old cousin who's watching him. And all of a sudden, he's like, pops right up. Yes, Dad, no problem, Dad. I'll brush my teeth quick. Come on, everybody, we're going to bed. I'm like, man, we got to adopt those kids, right? <laughs> They're going to help us parent. But isn't it true that when we're aware of someone else's presence, it affects the way, affects the way we behave? Did it ever occur to you that God is present? Did it ever occur to you to ask God, like as James is saying, to ask God first about this conflict? Because, you know, it's that thought of, God, there's something that I want that I'm not getting. I'm not getting what I want, and I think they're the problem. But what if, what if we're simply saying, God, there's something that I think I want that I'm not getting, and it causes its anger in me? Did it ever occur to talk to him about it first? Did it ever occur to you that they, even though there's that amazing woman you married or that amazing guy or that, you know, that beautiful child that, that I brought into this world and I want to take out of it right now, that, that person, they can't actually fill that void on the inside? There's a guy named Malcolm Smith who shared it this way. He says, so often we go into our relationships as two half-empty um, uh, vessels. I didn't have glasses, so I borrowed these. Uh, and... and it's that thought of we look at the other person, we're like, I wish they would be on time. I wish they'd spend less money. I wish they would do. I wish they would stop. I wish they would. And it's like they're going to fill up my happiness thing. Well, what happens in that relationship? Someone's left empty. And what happens if they look to the other person again? It's like, oh, man, I wish that they would you know, come home on time. I wish that they would stop working so much. I wish that they wouldn't think it was all about where they want to go on vacation and do whatever they want to do. And, and pretty much, oh, we're good again. But are we? And in every relationship, it's the same. And James is saying, listen, they can't fill you. Would you, in turn, say, God, would you meet whatever this need is on the inside of me? Because it's there. It causes this conflict. It's ruining relationships. It's in me. God, would you do? And when you bring it to him, you bring the focus back onto the only part that can change. It's you. And you bring your, yourself to the only part that can change you, and that's him. And for some of you here, you're like, man, <laughs> I didn't think of asking God first. Because what do we think of first? I want them to respect me first. I want them to apologize first. I actually want them to listen to this message and do what it says first. I want to win. I want to be right. I want to be happy. I want to go my way. What if we consider that God's watching? He's present in our conflict. What if we consider that we could ask him? And what if we considered the thought that he's the only one who could fill it and it's not them that would solve the inner conflict in us. And here's the last thought. Is it possible that the thing that you think you want so bad is actually not good for you? Do you think you're so set on, oh, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. And for most of us, what we really, really want, James explained it, James 4 verse 3, 2,000 years ago. He's like, even when you ask, when you ask God, he says, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And relationships that are like, it's just about me and what I want, and I just want what's going to make me happy. I just want what's going to give me the pleasure is actually just drawing you away from relationship itself. Is it possible that God, who's a good heavenly father, is not going to give you everything you want? Are you okay with the possibility that the answer to that, this is what I want, question inside that conflict, the answer might be no. Good parents don't let their kids play with hand grenades. 
Good parents don't give their kids cotton candy for breakfast every day. And we think, oh, okay, God's the cosmic killjoy. But good parents do give their kids all the good things that they do need for their lives. And you know, a lot of times it's, it's deeper things in us. It's deeper things in us. There's like a, there's a, a self-worth that's missing. So you work so hard and you were like, man, I just want them to respect all the stuff I've done to give you self-worth. They can't give that to you. There's others where it's just like, I just want unconditional love. Guess what? He might be good, but he can't give that to you. There's all these things that we want, we want, we want, but they're deeper needs and only he can meet them. And so as we close today, you've encountered conflict in your past. And the fact is you will, we will encounter conflict in our relationships in the future because it's not always about our decisions, but theirs as well. So this is the thought for this week. What if our default, when we hit that spot where we're like, I know it's escalating, was, okay, but can I ask just, can I just ask one question? Can I just ask one question? What do I want really? What do I want really? Could I ask God when I know that that moment's coming? Could I accept no as his answer if it's really not what's best for me in this situation? Could I acknowledge that I'm actually part of the problem? Because <laughs> it's fascinating even when I speak with marriages and um, people who are in marriage trouble, it's like, well, you know, sometimes I can be a little bit like this, but they're like this. And you have no idea. And it's like even their voice changes. We're so quick to dismiss our part. And what if we just said, you know what? That's the only part that I can focus on. God, I don't want conflict in my life. I don't want it here. I don't want it here. What part is me? What part is the source in me? What if we could play it forward in our mind and say, that's the problem. Let me play this forward to find out, and you know what? I, that's, yes, that is what I really want, or you know what? No, that is not what I really want, and it is not worth fighting for. And to be fair, there are some things that are worth fighting for, and this is not like this thing that's going to cure, especially people who are in really, really rough um, um, marital or whatever relationships. This isn't going to be the cure-all. But most people aren't in that spot. Most people are just drifting towards that because they don't realize it's the little ones that matter. And that's our hope. God, what can we do better in these areas of conflict? What will you do about it? What will you do about it? Do you know the source of the conflict in your family? What will you do about it? And we leave you with this thought. It's a thought from James, because your future family depends on what you do with what you heard today. We didn't need more information today. I gave you some, but it's not what we need. We need transformation here. We need us to say, you know what, God, okay, now that I've heard and I understand that, would you do in here what needs to be done? Fill me with your love for, the, for those around me. Those around me, my future family, my family members right now. Would you do in something in me? We need transformation. Here's what James said. Last thought, James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. He's writing this to them. He's like, don't just listen to it. He's like, you got to do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Hey, I heard it. I'm going to go home and my next fight's not going to be any different. He says, because if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror, which we've done here this morning. You see yourself and like, yeah, that's me. But then you walk away and you forget what you look like. Verse 25, but if, if you look carefully into that perfect law, that sets you free because it shows you who you really are and what's really going on inside. And he says, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. God will bless you for doing it. Can we pray? And this morning when I say, can we pray? Would you, would you just engage heaven as, as I'm speaking as well? Would you, I don't care if you're whispering, but there's two thoughts this morning. There's lots of people here that are, you're, you're conflict-free right now. Things are good and it's great, but I can promise you there's lots of people sitting in seats around you where they're not. There's incredible conflict. There's a war for marriages 
And I, my hope is that we would fight for relationships. We would fight for marriages. And so this morning, can we just pray together? Maybe you know somebody who's going through some tough stuff. Would you just pray for them as we pray together? Let's do that. Father, I just thank you for your word. I know it speaks to our hearts in ways we don't always like, but it's for our good, and I'm grateful for it. God, I thank you that it's living, that it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it's dividing between the thoughts, the intents, the motives of our hearts. And Lord, today in this place, we just put our hearts before you. God, would you do in us what really needs to be done? We think we know, but, but we really don't. And God, I ask that you would reveal that to us in this place. Heavenly Father, we lift up marriages all over this place, all over uh, the connections that these people have in their relationships. Father, we pray for them. We pray for those people in those marriages. God, I pray that their hearts would be open to your voice. I pray that their lives would be open to your word. I pray that it would change them from the inside and that their marriages would change as a result. God, I pray for those who are on the borders of hopeless. Lord, may they see you and know that there's hope. God, where they think things are impossible. Father, I just believe for possible again this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead us gently in the ways that we might be an encouragement to one another, that our relationships with one another might be better. And Father, I just pray too that these distractions that always try and draw us away to things we think we want, that actually are drawing us away from you, that those things would die in our lives, that our focus would be even more so on you as we walk out this week, loving you, living with you, living for you, and reaching our world as a result. May they see you, Jesus. May they see you because you're amazing. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.